This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. I'm grateful to be invited uh, to talk about this important topic here, God and suffering, how could God allow evil? I think before we begin, one important thing to note is that, of course, this is the Thomistic Institute, so, and I am a Dominican, so I'm going to be relying a lot on St. Thomas Aquinas. For St. Thomas, this is not um, uh, uh, a huge um, vexing question, okay? It's, it's not a vexing question for him. And honestly, it wasn't really a problematic question for the sacred authors of scripture. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, and, you know, if you're familiar and if you've read, certainly you've read the Old Testament, and passages in it, God routinely inflicts suffering on people, the Israelites especially, um, for their infidelity and for their sin. God's answer to Job, who was in fact righteous, but if you know the story of Job, right, he allows Satan to test Job. Job suffers greatly, finally cracks at the end of the book of Job, and basically asks, and I mean, challenges God why he has allowed this to happen. And God's answer to him is not an answer at all. He basically says to Job, um, who are you to ask these questions? That's pretty much the attitude of the Old Testament. God gives, God takes. Um, if you're suffering, it comes from God, and it probably means you're unfaithful to God, and uh, you need to sort of repent of something. And then, of course, in the New Testament, um, suffering takes on a whole new meaning in Jesus Christ, who takes on a human nature precisely so that he can suffer for our sins and, and redeem us and save us. So in the Bible, it's simply accepted as a matter of fact that God is involved somehow in suffering, either as the cause of it or permitting it, or in, in Jesus Christ, especially in accepting it and suffering himself. Now, I think in our modern world, we're aggravated by the question of God and suffering because we've been convinced um, that we need to keep God innocent, that we need to keep God out of such horrible things like tornadoes or violence or cancer or sin that he can't be involved with any of that. The argument is often presented that evil should not exist if God is all powerful or if he's all knowing and all loving. I mean, if he's all three of those things, the argument generally goes, there shouldn't be evil. If he's all knowing and all loving, um, but not all powerful, then you can expect there should be evil because it means he's powerless to, to control it or to stop it. If he's all powerful and all loving, but there's still evils, they, people will argue that it means he's not all knowing. He doesn't know about all the evil in the world. And then the worst, of course, if he's all powerful and all knowing and there's still evil, then he must not be all loving because he allows evil to happen. Now, the typical defense of God against this sort of argument is what's known as the free will defense. And it's a common defense that many Christians make that God created human beings with free will. And that, and that means therefore, we have a free choice. 
not only to choose good, but to do bad, which is to say we have a free will inherently. If God gives us free will and free choice, it means we really do have a choice of choosing good or choosing evil, choosing God or choosing sin. Otherwise, we don't have free will at all. Now, I want to state right up front at the beginning of our time this evening that not only is St. Thomas not vexed by the problem of evil, he, he does not accept the free, he would not accept the free will defense. Right? It, his view is much more nuanced than that, and I'll, uh, I'll come to that later. Now this evening, I'm going to go through uh, about four points to help us think through God and suffering. All of this, of course, according to the thought of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, okay? See if I can do this. Here are the points. Ah, look, it worked. Okay, God as creator and cause. We'll start with there. Then we will move to um, what is evil for St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay, trying to get my screen here. I can think I can do this too. There we go. Um, Evil suffered, which in St. Thomas's Latin is called the malum pene, and evil done, malum culpe. You think of the evil people do, those are sins. And then uh, we'll look at human freedom and grace before, um, and actually, to be honest with you, that, that last point is, we will talk a little bit about human freedom and grace, but we're gonna, that's really gonna be the final thoughts uh, section, so I should, I should have uh, modified that slide there, okay? So first, let's talk a little bit about God as creator and cause for St. Thomas. Um, and of course, all of this, if you were to ever come and study at the Dominican House Studies at the Pontifical Faculty for a master's in theology or a master's in Thomistic studies, um, each one of these points would probably be its own course, right? So one thing to note about St. Thomas is his, his view of God is that God is not simply one being among many. Uh, to use his Latin, God is the ipsum esse subsistence, which is to say, God is being itself subsisting. I'm gonna explain what that means. It's to say that God himself is existence. He himself is being. He's not a being like you and me, B-E-I-N-G is what I'm saying. He is not a being like you and me or any other being in the universe. And it's in fact, although we often say this, that God is the supreme being, for St. Thomas, it's not even correct um, to speak of God as the supreme being, because that makes it sound like there's a hierarchy of beings and he's at the top. St. Thomas would uh, dispute that. Um, categorically. That's not part of his metaphysics. And in fact, I think one of the problems we have in the modern world, in our modern minds, is that we tend to, even believers, we tend to think of God as um, just another, even, even if he is the best and most powerful agent or the most powerful cause, um, we just see him as like the super cause or the super agent. For St. Thomas, that is not, that is not the case. He is existence itself. He is the he is the very act of existence. So uh, this is a good point to always keep in mind. When we think of the word being, I, I didn't make a slide of this, but B-E-I-N-G, we tend to see it as a noun, but in fact, it's a gerund. And those of you who study uh, language arts or English will know that a gerund is a verb that's treating, treated as a noun. It's an I-N-G word, like walking or running. 
so that the word being is in fact a verbal noun. It, it refers to a, uh, an entity that is in fact in the process of being or existing, if you will. Okay, so like walking and running and heating. Okay, so here's here's what Saint Thomas says. This is a, this is a here's a quote from Saint Thomas on this. Um, come on, let me get my face out of there. Uh, God is in all things, not indeed. This isn't now. This is going to be very important. So He is in all things, but we're not pantheists. God is in is in all things, not indeed as part of their essence, which is to say part of their nature, nor as an accident, as a quality or you know something like a color would be, but as an agent is present to that upon which it works. So when the fire uh, is heating the pan, the fire is the agent of the heat, heating the pan. For an agent must be joined to that wherein it acts immediately and touch it, by its power. Once again, think of the fire touching the pan with its heat. That the thing be moved and the mover must be joined together. The fire and the pan are joined in the, because the fire is heating the pan. Now, since God, this is an important sense, sentence here. Now, since God is very being, not heating, but being by his own essence, created being, you, me, everything that exists, must, must be his proper effect just as to ignite or to heat is the proper effect of fire. So notice what St. Thomas is arguing here. God is the very act of existence and is in contact like a fire over underneath the pan of everything that exists. Now God causes this effect in things. This is an important thing that separates us from Dios. Now God causes this effect in things not only when they first begin to be, but here it is, but as long as they are preserved in being, as light is caused in the air by the sun, as long as the air remains illuminated, or to use my example, as long as the pan is being heated, it's uh, being heated and in contact with the igniting, the heating of the fire. St. Thomas is saying existence is the exact same way. God is existence itself in the way fire is heat itself. And Anything that exists is existing in participation, we might say, in the, in the existence of God, is participating in God's act of existence, all right? Therefore, as long as a thing has being, God must be present to it according to its mode of being. This will come out later, this whole, what that mode of being language means. But being is innermost in each thing and most fundamentally inherent in all things, which is to say the most basic thing about each of us and even atoms and molecules and electrons um, is that they exist, right? That's the most, that's the core, the deepest thing about us is that we exist, right? He is most fundamentally inherent in all things since it is formal in respect of everything found in a thing. You can't have any other qualities intelligence, beauty, truth, goodness, any of that, unless actually you exist, right? So existence is the most, is like ground level of all created beings for St. Thomas. Hence, it must be that God is in all things. And this is a horrible translation and inner mostly, which is to say most interiorly. If you, if you know St. Saint Augustine's famous phrase that God is higher than our highest and deeper than our deepest most self. And that's, that's what St. Thomas is getting at here, that God is deeper in us because he is the core 
he is the core of our, uh, he, is, uh, he is existence itself. And if we are existing, we are participating and being held in existence by participating in his very active existence. Now this has tremendous consequences for St. Thomas. It means of course, obviously, that God is actively conferring existence on everything that exists at every single moment. There is no way, there is nothing that exists apart from his active existence and his allowing whatever exists to participate in his, in what is his act, which is what he is, is he is existence itself. He is present, therefore, by contact, like the fire under the pan, he is present from the smallest subatomic particle to the highest angel by his own essence, because that's what he is, he is existence. So that's what I mean, or what I meant earlier is that for St. Thomas, God is not uh, one cause among many. He is the cause of all ongoing at this very moment. He's not one agent on the field. He is the field and, all, and, uh, and the ground of all the agents on the field. Even though St. Thomas uh, agrees and borrows Aristotle's prime mover argument that God is prime mover, and this will come up later, all of causality. So you look at our world, and this is you know what science sort of investigates is cause and effect. For St. Thomas, God is not just another cause that has effects. He is the cause that undergirds causality. There is no causality, but for the fact that causes exist which is his existence. So if you think about this, um, if you kind of do this mental image of the whole, a whole uh, nexus of causality, that things happen from electrons revolving around protons and neutrons to environmental currents, to even for St. Thomas, the free choices that you and I make, all of these causes have effects which lead to further effects and consequences. As God, uh, as creator, God not only creates things to have certain effects and to be able to cause certain things, a goose can only cause certain things. And a goose is gonna have different causes and different effects uh, than a dog or you and I, but he's also the one who's at the ground level of the very existence of those causes and effects. And so, God not only is the ground and cause of all causality at this moment, and this is what he meant like uh, in that quote, not just at any moment they exist. So this is an important point to remember. This is not something about the past. It's not that God started the big bang and then all of a sudden everything kind of comes together and life appears and all of that. All that is likely true. But God not only does that, but he's actually at this very moment at the ground floor, if you will, of everything that happens because he's holding everything in existence. Everything that happens, he's at the ground floor of. Um, he's the anchor. But then he's also, to use St. Thomas's language, the formal cause, which is to say he's also created things to act and to, and to have a purpose in their own ways. So my purpose is different than a dog's purpose, different than electron, an electron's purpose. So 
for Aquinas, God is not playing chess with all the creatures in the universe. He's not actively making electrons revolve around protons, and neutrons. He's not actively making geese fly south. He's not making you and me to choose this or that. Rather, he created all things for their own purpose and he, he allows those purposes, those natures, what we would call natures, that geese fly south, dogs will eat a steak if you leave it on the floor, that's their nature. Um, and our natures, which is rational creatures called to communion with him, he's made us that way, but he's also preserving us in existence. It would, St. Thomas would argue, and he does argue that it's beneath God, um, it would be beneath him and his perfection for him to create things and then and create them to act in a certain way and then actually always have to himself move them to act in that way, right? He's the cause of causes, the cause of causality. Now, the other important thing to note under this sort of bullet point is that he, he himself, we believe God gains no personal fulfillment in this, right? He gains no personal fulfillment in um, uh, in willingness or in like creating, okay? God is supremely perfect. This is a classic Christian definition. He's supremely perfect. Now we can talk about other things on how God expresses disappointment or regret in scriptures, but that'd be another, that'd be another talk, right? Now, all of this notion about God's metaphysical uh, standing touches on various, what we might call qualities that we speak of God having, that God is good or that he's truth, that he's beautiful. We can say we can use a word like exemplar to say God is the exemplar, but even that sort of fails here for St. Thomas. Because let's look at goodness since we're talking about evil. We don't say that God is good because he falls into line with some abstract judgment of what goodness actually is. And that, I mean, for St. Thomas, that's often the problem when we start talking about and we get angry or upset with things that are happening and we start blaming God, is that we then want to judge God by some exterior standard that we put above him that he has to rise to. God doesn't have to rise to anything but himself, right? Um, so we don't say that he's good because of some abstract notion of goodness. We don't say that he's true because he falls into some abstract notion of what truth is. Rather, for St. Thomas, God is truth. He is goodness. He is the very meaning of these words. He does not conform to some external standard beyond himself. And so for St. Thomas, even when we use those words of earthly things, when we say you're good or pizza is good or meal is good, we recognize that the goodness that, we're, that when we use that word and the way we use it of, say, a pizza, is um, not different than when we use that word with God, not entirely different, but that it's only analogous. That when we use the word good of God, that whatever that means, which we only see in the beatific vision, 
that's what real goodness is. Everything else is a sort of analogy to him. So, because goodness for God, I mean, sorry, goodness for Aquinas is synonymous with existing. To exist is to be good. Existence is goodness. At some basic level, everything that is good, or sorry, everything that exists is good in as much as it exists as it should exist, which is to say, in as much as it exists as it was created to exist. In as much as an electron does what an electron is supposed to do, it's good. So for St. Thomas, you need to know what a thing is and what it ought to be and what, it was, what its purpose is, what it's, what it's supposed to do in order to determine whether or not it's more or less good than something else, all right? Basic goodness is existence. So everything that exists is good, but increasing goodness, but things are more good, the more they achieve or the more closer they are to a higher and better existence, the more they also become uh, existing according to their nature. So we got several levels here. We got the basic goodness of existence, and then is the creature, whatever it is, existing the way its nature says it should exist, doing what it, its nature says it should do. I mean, if you have an electron that goes awry, it's not a good, it might be a good electron because it exists, but it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And sometimes we kind of, we interfere with electrons and that leads to devastating results, right? That aren't good, okay? And then, uh, so there's that, but then even if all things are achieving and doing what their nature sort of defines as what they should do, um, for St. Thomas, there are creatures that are better than other creatures, which was to say they have more and more higher levels of existence. So for St. Thomas, it's better to be a human person than it is to be a dog because we have a higher level of rational spiritual existence than say a dog does, okay? The more existence you have, the more good you are, um, and, and likewise, the more you fulfill your nature and become fulfilling of your nature, so the more human you are, the more good you become. And the more good a creature is, uh, the more it's actually participating in God's existence, because it means God, it means God has um, infused it with more of his existence. Let me show you what that, let me put that up on the screen here. Here we go. God's will is the cause of all things, St. Thomas says. It must be therefore that a, thing has, that a thing has existence or any kind of good only in as much as it is willed by God. To every existing thing, every existing thing then, that's a typo, to every existing thing then, God wills some good. Hence, since to love anything is nothing else than to will good to that thing, he's borrowing that from Aristotle, it is manifest that God loves everything that exists because to exist is good. So the fact that something exists means God loves it, anything that exists. But he says, yet not as we love. Because since our will is not the cause of the goodness of things, because we do not cause the existence of things. That's my addition there. But rather, goodness calls forth our love. We love good things when we recognize them, even if we're mistaken. We're always, we always love good things. Whereas the love of God infuses and creates goodness, which is to say, 
the will of God infuses goodness in creatures in as much as he not only wills them to exist, he wills them to exist according to a certain way, more or less uh, manifesting his own perfect existence, his own perfect goodness. Now, what is evil for St. Thomas? Moving on to that second point here. Evil, and this is, if you've done any sort of philosophy, this won't be a surprise to you, but for St. Thomas, evil is not a thing. It's not an entity. I mean, it exists in a certain way, but not the way creatures and created things exist. It's not like an electron or even a demon. You can think about demons, all right? It's not an entity. Evil is not an entity, I would say, for the entire Christian tradition, Catholic or otherwise. Christians do not believe in a great cosmic battle between good and evil in that sense. Ours is not a dualistic religion in this way. The Judeo-Christian religion, for instance, is not founded on a fundamental creation myth based on violence or battle, unlike most pagan creation myths. The, the Judeo-Christian creation story, for instance, is that God creates simply by speaking and he finds everything is good. He doesn't have to destroy another God or subjugate another God to create the world. Goodness is any natural substance that exists. Evil is real, however, for St. Thomas. It's not an illusion. It's not, it's not, he's, not trying to, he's not trying to pull a fast one on us here. It is real. It's just not a created entity. It's not a positive thing. To, it's not a positive thing. It's more of an absence. It's something missing that should be there for St. Thomas. And God does not will evil as such because God does not will anything but what exists. Evil does not exist as its own thing. It's a vacuum. It's a privation here. Look at this. This is also the Summa. What is evil, he says, must be known from the nature of good. Since every nature desires its own being, which is to say its own existence and its own perfection, it must be said also that the being and the perfection of any nature is good. Typo there. So I, I typed these up very quickly. Hence, it cannot be that evil, the word evil, signifies being or existence or any form or nature. There must, therefore, it must be said that the name evil is signified a certain this is important, a certain absence of a good, not any absence, but a certain kind of absence of a good, okay? It's in question 48, article one of the first part of the Summa. So for St. Thomas, evil is a deficiency of goodness or existence that is in fact proper to some created thing. Now, let me give you an example. Well, let me, let, me, let me just give you one more distinction here. It's not just any absence of, of a good. St. Thomas distinguishes between negative goods and privative goods or pri private goods that are pri privations. So a negative good is just any good you don't have. Like for instance, I, I, in some ways it would be good to have like $20 million. The fact that you don't have $20 million is not an evil. That's what he would call a negative good. It's not a good that is part of your nature or that you naturally should have as part of your existence. 
but evil is what he what he calls a private a primitive good which is to say a, a good that it that is you're deprived of according to what you should have so for instance not having an arm um, if you're a human person is an evil, whether or not that's a birth defect or something that happens and you have to have an arm amputated. St. Thomas would say that is an evil, right? A goose not knowing how to fly south would be an evil for St. Thomas. Um, now, the important thing to say here, this is not about morality yet. We're not, we've not gotten into morality. For St. Thomas, it's just, that's what evil is. It's an absence. Um, we might call this um, natural evil is what some people call this, natural evil or physical evil. That's very different from sinful evil or the ch or choices that are evil, which we're gonna call um, moral evil. Now, there are two types of evil. This is moving on to my third bullet point here. There are two types of evil these two types, the, the physical or natural evil and the moral evil. This natural evil is what St. Thomas refers to as malum pene, which is evil translated literally as evil suffered. It's, it's suffering, it's what we suffer. Um, a lamb gets eaten by a lamb. A lamb gets eaten by a lion. I'd be interested to see a lamb try to eat a lamb, but a lamb gets eaten by a lion, right? Um, that is evil for the lamb. It's an evil suffered. But for St. Thomas, this is just a matter of perspective. It's actually good for the lion, you see. So for Aquinas, physical evil or malum pene, evil suffered, is actually easily explained because God has created a world uh, has willed to create a world that has material substances. We're not pure spirits. And by definition, material substances corrupt. Even if the lamb isn't eaten by the, by the lion, it will eventually grow old and die. But matter corrupts. It doesn't stay uh, perfect. It's not spiritual. The other thing is when you have all sorts of material things, in its own sort of system called the ecosystem or the whole system of the universe, it's quite naturally natural um, that when some things flourish naturally, other things will suffer evil, will suffer. The lion flourishes, the lamb suffers. As I say, evil here is a matter of perspective for St. Thomas. Getting a cold or getting COVID, now this leads to deeper questions, which I'll just touch on later, but getting COVID is an evil suffered. But it means that the virus, which I know is not a living organism, but whatever, you know, all of those parts that come into a virus, they exist. They're material things. They exist. They're doing what their natures are meant to do. Right, the lion is meant to eat the lamb. A virus is meant to have certain effects, and these are its effects. It's doing what it's meant to do. We suffer, but it flourishes. Tornadoes, hurricanes, even cancer. Uh, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going to say even cancer. I think Saint Thomas would argue, although it'd be interesting to see him what he would argue about cancer, because that's a cancer is a strange thing because it's usually a defect in the cells. But what causes that defect, you know? 
Okay. All are all caused by agents doing what they're created to do, which is to say to pursue their own perfection, their own goodness. So physical evil or malum pene, evil suffered, means that some other creature is actually flourishing, existing and actually becoming more good according to what it is. The lion is becoming more good by eating the lamb. So again, suffering evil is not a comment on moral quality. Now, here's the question that you're probably asking, or most people ask. Why couldn't God create a world without physical evil? Why could he not create a world where lions didn't eat lambs? The answer to this for St. Thomas is that God can do anything, but he does not do stupid things or illogical things, right? Can God make a rock he can't lift? Can he make a circled square? For St. Thomas, these are silly questions. God is truth and truth abides by the logic that he himself, you know, uh, uh, creates. Yeah, so God for St. Thomas could have made a world without any physical evils, but it would not be the world we live in. It would not be our world. It would not be a world with material things, with complexity and diversity. It would not be a world with such manifold different types of creatures doing their thing because doing their thing is what causes other things to suffer. I mean, can you make a vegan lion or a vegetarian lion? Well, yeah, but then the plant is suffering. Yeah, well, you might, then we can, you know, in all sorts of conversations about, you know, well, does the plants, do plants really suffer? But for St. I mean, for St. Thomas, you I mean, even when you start a fire in a certain sense, you can say the air is suffering because the air is not naturally supposed to be heated that way. Right. I mean, this is just I'm just trying to get you to see how he thinks about these things. And so he says, and this is I don't have a slide for this because a very short quote, but this is in the first part of this first part of the Summa question 48 article two. He says this many good things would be taken away if God permitted no evil to exist for fire would not be generated. There would be no fire because it corrupts the air. Nor would a life, the life of a lion be preserved unless the ass were killed. Now, the important thing to say for St. Thomas on these evils suffered is that he doesn't will the evil. He doesn't will it. He does not create those evils. He actually creates good creatures. The lion is good. And in the nexus of causality, um, being creatures and material things means that there's a loss gain relationship in between different agents in that nexus. But that in fact, the nexus itself is proceeding and willed. And this is gonna be important for later when we talk about choices, willed to be moving closer to God. So God does not will uh, the lion to eat the lamb. He wills the lion to be the lion he created it to be. And that means sometimes it's going to eat a lamb, sometimes it's going to eat a donkey. Right. Now, let's talk about malum culpe, which is the evil done, moral evil. This is evil that's unique to rational creatures, creatures with choice. It is a result of free choice. The fact that we make choices about our goals and our destinies, what we will pursue and flourish, um, is part of what makes us in the image of God, right? Um, it's part of what makes us in the image of God that 
we not only know because God is the goal because he is perfect, perfect goodness, perfect happiness, perfect existence. God is the goal for all things that exist, whether you're talking a geese or a dog or a planet. And he's our goal too. The difference with us for St. Thomas is that we can know that. We can know and try to discern and try to figure out what's going to make us happy in life and actually pursue those things. And then we can also know how our various choices get us closer or further away when we make bad choices from the goal of happiness and uh, goodness, right? Even though it's true, we can be mistaken about uh, what is in fact uh, true goodness. We are always for St. Thomas pursuing some good, even when we're mistaken. We're always pursuing some good, even though we don't always know the right way to pursue it, or even know, uh, in fact, and find out later that it wasn't a good thing that we were pursuing in the first place. God sees free choice. So the fact that he's given us free choice is just another manifestation of the diversity of creatures for him. The highest or the highest creature. But that means that God moves us in a way different than he moves dogs or electrons. He moves us by presenting goods and giving and, and, and we having choices. He, it's important to say, he, for St. Thomas, God does not cause our evil choices, even though he did cause our free will, give us free will. Um, he does not cause it, even though he creates and sustains, say the demon, or the sinful, wicked person. He does so because he's willing good. He sees existence as good all the time. There's something even good about the wicked man existing for St. Thomas, even if, at least for the moment, um, they're very sort of darkened. Evil, which comes from the withdrawal of the form and integrity of the thing that has the nature of pain, that's the evil suffered. Remember, evil suffered is like an evil that you should have. It should be part of your form and integrity. If you don't have it, that's the evil. That's what causes pain. It is of the very nature of, of a pain to be against the will. But the evil consists in the subtraction of, but the evil that consists in the subtraction of the due operation and voluntary things has the nature of a fault. That due operation is what we're going to focus on. For this is, is imputed to anyone as a fault to fail as regard perfect action of which he is a master by the will. So for St. Thomas, evil choices, the evil of faults, is a choice that lacks the perfection of its due order. It's a choice that's less than human. It's a choice that's less, that's using free will for a purpose other than pursuing true perfection, which is to say getting us closer to God. All evil choices, evil's the fault for St. Thomas is a choice that lacks something. It lacks its due regard for our nature and for who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be. And it's hard to tell it in that the way that translation was, but evil done for St. Thomas, the malum culpe, the moral evil for St. Thomas, and I would say this is true for the entire uh, Christian tradition, Catholic tradition, actually entails more suffering for the perpetrator than say a victim on whom we might do evil. Right. I mean, that's counterintuitive, 
But for St. Thomas, um, and I mean, it's the sinner. I mean, a good example, this is one John Paul uses in Veritatis Splendor, right? So think of the person, think of a person working for the government in some black ops site who tortures like prisoners to gain information. Um, yeah, it's a lot of suffering for the prisoner, whatever is happening there. I mean, and you know, I'm sure we've all read stories about what they kind of do in some of these, these sites, but let's just use a very painful example of pulling finger, fingernails out of people, right? Yeah, that's painful for the victim, no doubt. I mean, excruciating pain. But for John Paul II, for St. Thomas, um, it's more painful for the perpetrator, even if they don't realize it, because it means that they're becoming slowly a person who just easily is able to pull people's fingernails out. Like that should, you should not be able to do that so easily as a, as a human person to another human person, right? Um, God is somewhat, I want to say this. Uh, so with malum pene, with those natural evils, you can see that God does not cause them. He causes the goodness, but he is involved. I mean, he's involved with the suffering of the lamb because he's created the lion to be what it is. God is also somewhat implicated in moral evil for St. Thomas, somewhat. Don't if you make sure you finish, let me finish my sentence because don't report me to the, you know, the authorities here. I'm not going to say God. God does not cause evil. All right. He is not the cause of moral evil, but simply as creating and sustaining creatures that are capable of doing evil and sustaining them in existence. He's maintaining that whole nexus of causality. Now, could he have created a world without moral evil yes but then it would not be the world we exist in we would exist without free choice it's, so in fact it's not even that god permits evil so that good may come from it although he does bring great good from a lot of evils he wills only the good i can't emphasize this enough tonight he wills only your existence and your free choice to be used in a in a in a knowledgeable and free way to pursue goodness and perfection, which is to say to pursue him. Okay, now, and I'm getting close to the end here. Um, so longer quote, this is from his disputed questions on evil. He says this, therefore we need to say that God, since he is the first source of the movement of everything, remember he's the ground of all causes, moves certain things in such a way that they also move their very selves, that you and me. He moves us in a way that we move ourselves. We have choice. This is the power of free choice. Unlike the way he moves, you know, his movement ends up with dogs or trees or planets. And, and if those with free choice be properly disposed and rightly ordered to receive movement from God, good acts will result. All he means there is God created us to work a certain way. And if we work the way we were created to work with his keeping us in existence and keeping our, the grounding the, the nexus of causality, we will do good things. And we completely trace these acts to him as their cause. So God gets all credit for all the good we do because that's how he created us, all right? But if, the, if those with free choice should defect from the requisite order, which is to say we, because of ignorance or malice or habit or vice, disordered acts that are acts of sin result. And so we trace what regards the activity of those with the power of free choice to God as the cause, while only free choice, not God, 
causes what regards the deordination or the disorder of this power of free choice. This is why we say that um, uh, acts of good, that's a typo, the acts of good come from God, but that sin does not. Acts, good acts come from God, but sin does not. Please change that if you're copying that. <laughs> uh, good acts, acts of good, there we go, come from God, but sin does not. All that means is that for St. Thomas, God gave us the power of free choice, directing us to him. This is, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. For St. Thomas, our default created position is in fact for God. We're not, God is not neutral with regard to us. Okay. And we're not created neutral. That's the problem with the free will defense. All right. We are in fact created for God and directed to God. And it's when, because of our, our ignorance, our malice, our concupiscence, we deviate from that, that's when we sin because then our free will is in fact not doing what it was created to do. It's, it becomes disordered, right? That's why the free will defense is not St. Thomas's defense because the modern conception of freedom is that freedom is simply a neutral power to choose this or to choose that. But the classic sense of free will in Christianity um, is that free will is in fact not neutral. It's in fact ordered to perfection and excellence and virtue and goodness. We're different than electrons and animals because we have that power to participate in our own ordering to our own fulfillment. And when we do that, we do that according to the way God has created us. And when we don't, that's what, why we sin. That's why the free will defense is not Thomas's defense. The free will defense presumes freedom is neutral. Just a few questions at the end here. I'm, I know I'm, I'm running, I'm running a little late, I'm sorry. Um, so why a world with no suffering? Just these are some of my final thoughts. Again, because it wouldn't be our world. It wouldn't be, first of all, physical suffering. It wouldn't be the material world. Now, why doesn't God intervene? Can't we have the vegetarian lions? Well, as I said, that, that resolves other sorts of questions because then they're not lions. There's something else, which is fine because we learn what things are by what they do. Uh, there are vegetarian animals, but they're not lions. And, you know, we might even suggest, you know, people smarter than I, that there could be ecosystem issues. It, wouldn't, it just wouldn't be our universe. It wouldn't be our world. Maybe you might say pain simply just could not happen. Maybe the lion, when he eats the lamb, the lamb shouldn't feel any pain, but that could be bad too, because we also know in the world God has created that pain is an indicator of things that should be fled, things that are dangerous. But also, and this is really most important, it's because there is cause and effect in the world that we can understand the world. It's why science works. Otherwise, you end up talking about some miraculous intervention every, at every single um, interaction between cause and effect, God intervening in everything. Now, going back to cancer or the coronavirus, why do these things exist and how do they exist? Well, someone smarter than I is gonna, is gonna have to answer that, but also sometimes there are questions on why certain suffering is allowed that we won't have an answer to. And we don't, God is not, is not obligated to give us that answer. That's the biblical response to that. Now, as far as um, uh, evil done, 
look, God created us to be in communion of life and love with him. That's our destiny. That's what we're created to do. That's what the free will really wants. Everything else is either taking us to that or taking us away from that. Um, and if God were to circumvent that, like always make us choose the right thing, then it's not free will. We're just automatons at that point. It is true, and this would be a whole nother talk, but it is true. We do need God's grace, and especially because of original sin, which has left us entirely discombobulated. But even then, God is not obligated. And finally, just a note, and you know, I'd love to talk more about this at some point, but in his eternal providence, God, of course, knew that evil done would happen. But he also knew what he would do about it. He doesn't have a plan B. The plan is perfect from the get-go because he sees all time at all moments. And of course, the plan B is Jesus Christ, God incarnate who suffers in his humanity from evil done, not evil suffered. I mean, not naturally. He suffers from moral evil by sinners. He rises and he forgives. So because of that, Christians are called not to fear suffering even at the hands of sinners, but actually to fear the evil they might do and any choice that takes them away from God. That's the evil we rightly, we rightly fear. Thank you so much.